like sports talk with absolutely no sports talk welcome to the latest edition of the just not sports podcast this is the show where a couple guys who work in sports talk to the people who play and cover sports about anything they like just not sports and on today's show a very special guest you know him as a mainstay of espn as a pioneer of sports broadcasting. He is the one, the only Chris Berman. And we are going to the one place I've always wanted to talk to him about, (laughs) based not just on uh, my suspicion of his fandom, but on internet evidence of his fandom. That's right. We're talking about Chris's lifelong love of Huey Lewis and the News, a band he's accompanied on stage multiple times. And it's not just a celebration of uh, Huey's music and Chris's love for it. Uh, It has a special weight right now because Huey has recently come out and, and talked about some health issues that have prevented him from singing. So it's, it's a very interesting glimpse into their friendship and how Chris is supporting Huey. And we will also break down, in an era when we all are worried about unpopular opinions, what are our most unpopular opinions about sports, one of which might be not liking the most recent Lonzo Ball diss track, which I know Adam is sitting on. Adam, yep. for shame, for shame, he yeah, is no. a legend. It's garbage. <laughs> I'm your co-host, Brad Burke. I'm a sports marketer in Chicago. And joining me on the line this week, it is a respected, trusted, loved, feared, kickboxing expert, Adam Millard, a nationally recognized PR representative who has logged time with the University of Colorado, the Green Bay Packers, and many sports brands. Adam, um, struggling to ask you a question this week, so I'm just going to hit you with a story first, okay? (laughs) Okay. For work, I was asked to create a podcast that we could share to uh, kind of an internal educational thing. Really, and the guy from work was like he—he's one of our top global leaders. He's out of our, uh, our our Seattle office, and he's like, "Let's do this podcast together." I'm like, "That sounds great. Let's let's do it." And he goes, "We're just gonna need some editing help. Can can you think of someone who can like <laughs> devote the time to edit this podcast?" And I go, "Yeah, I got someone." <laughs> yes. How about Joe Reed? <laughs> uh, and why don't you ask him <laughs> and just tell him Brad Burke sent you? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so hey Joe. Joe Joe Reed and I were editing a podcast that was not this podcast this week, which which was oddly full circle, and it kind of like kind of like running into your ex at a swingers party. You know what I mean? I just don't know what to do with it. Uh, How is Joe feeling? Because it seems he's allergic to podcasts. (laughs) Joe is great. Joe is a prince, always a prince. The audio was clean, way cleaner than what you're hearing now there as well. Not with us uh, besides Joe Reed, Gareth Hughes, our seven-time Emmy-winning sports producer. He is busy producing uh, sports work. Maybe not sports work. We don't know. He's somewhere working hard. He's dropping a lot of celebrity names. I don't quite know what's going on. And Adam, we will 
we will, we will just let it lie there. Sounds good. Right now, we're going to take the open of the show and make it wide open. Anything in the sports world is fair game as long as it's not sports. And Adam, you know where I'm going. You dreaded this all day. It was yep. breaking news. Phew, phew, phew. Athlete rap alert. Lonzo Ball diss track on uh, Kyle kinda. Kuzma. Let's listen right now. I'm working out daily, but I ain't posting it. And I would never stop a workout just to post a pic. You let them gas you up thinking that you can't be touched. Coming from the outskirts of Flint, boy, you ain't tough. Big baller brand getting brand locuses, getting crumbs. We thumbing through that money. Look at y'all, y'all playing with your thumbs. Don't know who your daddy is. Well, your ass is getting sun. We both taking shots. The only difference, you ain't hitting none. Usually do this shit for fun, but trust me, boy, I'm not the one. If you the bullet, I'm the gun. If you the pot, I'm cooking some. Rather than judge the quality of the song, which we both uh-huh. know will end up with with both of us giving an, an, a resounding thumbs up. Right. <laughs> yeah, sure. I, yeah. I'm, I'm curious, did you even consider this a diss track or was it? I looked at this more as a way for them to, to prey on the fact that Pusha T had a beef with Toronto Raptors bench player Drake. And I thought it was them just having fun in a media cycle that would want this versus them actually having a diss. But the media covered it very much like a real diss track. So, uh, or at least the headline said that. So, Adam, what are we? Is this full clickbait or is this legit? Uh, it is full clickbait. But what it actually reminded me of is um, a playful. Thing that maybe went a little bit too far. So if you remember a couple years ago, there was a video of Swaggy P, Nick Young, in the Lakers locker room that was leaked for a time by his good friend and teammate at the time, D'Angelo Russell, uh, also good friends, and they would play these jokes on each other. Unfortunately, in the video, Nick Young was talking about uh, cheating on his girlfriend, pop star uh, Izzy Izzy, how do you say her name, Brad? Uh, Izzy uh, Azalea? You you say uh, Spinderella. (laughs) Yeah, Izzy. Izzy, you know that rapper. Um, So that's where my mind went first uh, because some of the lyrics, and I know you're going to get there, but some of the lyrics in this song were a little bit overboard, even for joking among friends, including um, uh, a line where Zoe... Talks about uh, about Kyle never knowing his father. Like, there's good-natured ribbing, and then uh, there was a little bit over the top. So I was, I know this wasn't a diss track in the classic sense, but it was a little bit mean-spirited. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't know what to make of this. I thought it was supposed to be a big joke, and I was shocked the media took it more seriously. I mean, how does one player on the Lakers make a, uh, like anything aired out like via me. I mean, it's still on Lonzo's Twitter at the time we're recording this. Like, how is that stuff still out there? If it was at all deemed serious, the Lakers would have shut it down. I mean, these guys are clearly both going to be on the team unless Lonzo knows that like LeBron's signing and he's going to be, the other guy's going to be traded. But even then you wait a couple weeks, you know what I mean? Like free agency doesn't start till July 1st. Yeah. I think it's, it's hard to know to, to your question about, media or to your point about media covering this in a serious way 
it's hard to know if media really take it seriously or if they just know fans will respond in the age of outrage um, in an angry or in an overreacting manner. Similar to when Kyrie Irving uh, made the claim that he believed that the earth is flat. I don't think that he believes it, and I don't think that any media um, believes that he believes it. But you're kind of obligated to cover it if you if it's in your beat, just as, as you pointed out. This is in our beat, so it's why we're talking about it. Yeah, I mean, are you impressed at all with Lonzo's development as an artist <laughs> since the um, last? <laughs> CD I mean, came his, out? his his flow is a little bit better than what we heard on his mixtape. Okay, tape. okay, uh, guys, everyone, thank you for thank you for listening to Just on Sports. Uh, we uh-huh. are uh, we, we let's end with some shout outs. <laughs> booty <laughs> uh, rapper, stay it. booty. Booty rapper, stay booty. <laughs> that's, it, that, that's all I got. His flow is a little bit better, but this is still pretty whack. I mean, it's okay, man. I, I'm I'm willing to give him a participation ribbon for this. I, I think it, it's I think it's more funny and more open, jokey feud uh, than most. I never thought it was a diss track. I thought it was clearly just them doing a coordinated bit, and I yeah. think we'll see more from him. I mean, at the time we tape this, it could all be moot, and uh, you know, we could all we could all be dead. I mean, who even knows, guys? <laughs> Uh, but yeah, that was hashtag dark. But in the meantime, I'm just glad it exists. And you are, uh, oh yeah, Lonzo, keep making. Just so we have something to talk about. I mean, what do you want to talk about right now? Baseball? No, this is June baseball. This is a depressing time of year for college World Series. Like Lonzo, give me a hundred diss tracks. Yeah, I'm. I'm looking at OTA reports and NBA mock drafts. That's where we're at right now. So I, I hear you. Brutal, man. All right. Well, hey, coming off the finals, we also want to talk about this. We are in an era of, I would say, skepticism about the trustworthiness of certain uh, media outlets that have become so addicted to entertainment value for their ratings they no longer are even trying to pose legitimate takes. I, th- mm-hmm. There's no greater example than Skip Bayless just trolling LeBron endlessly. I mean, LeBron could put up 75 points and Skip the next morning and be tweeting about how it wasn't good enough. Yep. And I just, you know, the question remains, have we completely lost perspective with sports media? But rather than having that legitimate debate on this show, Let's talk about where we have lost perspective on sports. So, Adam, sure. you and I are going to share some okay. of our zaniest hot takes that we actually believe. This is no BS. We actually believe it. Yeah. Even though conventional wisdom says not. And I'll lead you with a quick story. Our friend John Barronswig, uh, who we lovingly called B through most of uh, our early life, Gareth and I, in, in Oxford, Ohio, like in 1995, we were having a debate about the best NFL team ever. He said the 1988 Cincinnati Bengals. Really? And I was like, they didn't. They lost the Super Bowl. And he's like, yeah, but no other team had what they had on both sides of the ball. And I'm like, but they went 12 and four. <laughs> like the Bears went 17 and one, or whatever. You know, like 18 and one. Wow. And he's like, he's like, no. 
Like, but they, you know, this, this, and I, I was like, this is a true believer. This is a guy who drank the orange and black Kool Aid. Sure. Uh, for this team, so that's the kind of like crazy zany stuff I want to hear. So, Adam, okay. do you want to start us off, or do you want me to start us off? Yeah, I'll say this, and I actually thought of this watching the NBA Finals recently. I don't believe that anybody, any sports fan, actually believes that a player who shoots three-pointers is more exciting than a player who dunks. I, I just believe that they're lying. I don't see how it's possible. <laughs> I don't care how many threes Steph Curry hits in the Finals. I, if you believe that Steph Curry is a more exciting player than LeBron James, who threw it off the glass to himself in the NBA Finals, um, I just think you're soft. I just don't think that (laughs) the three is as exciting as the dunk. I just don't believe you. You watch the NBA for the explosiveness. Nobody cares about the three. Every time I see Steph Curry on a fast break, I'm just like, well – He's either going to pull up or lay it up. Who cares? I just don't care what the guy does. <laughs> I know it's irrational. I, I know he's a great player. I'm sure there are some some people who don't who aren't old enough to drink yet who think he's more exciting than LeBron. They're just wrong. They're just wrong, and I know it's not rational. That's no. that's my take. Look, that's fair. That's fair. I've got a couple here. I believe the all-time Major League Baseball home run and a season record is 61. Huh. Okay. And I'm not a steroid denier. Like, I think McGuire, Sosa, Bonds, can, you know, whoever. Like, I was about to say Canseco. I mean, who cares? <laughs> Put them all in the Hall of Fame. I mean, it doesn't matter to me. It doesn't matter sure. to me. But if you said to me, if a player got to 62 or 63, would you – validate that in your head more than what when you watch I mean I watched McGuire hit 70 I watched Bonds hit 73 sure I mean it doesn't it just doesn't really register the same way to me and I I think there's a lot of baseball Twitter that would say you're I'm an idiot for saying that but that's an old school bizarre opinion I know but it's just kind of the way I feel man <laughs> like that's what I, this is I about I don't think it's crazy. I think people lose out on something in the whole steroid debate across sports. The argument I always hear, as far as that's concerned, is like, well, it doesn't change um, hand-eye coordination or bat speed. And uh, you're probably right. It does increase muscle mass and, most importantly, makes a guy able to perform over a sustained amount of time, which Roger Maris did not have the advantage of. He got to 61 uh, in an era where that didn't exist, where medical technology in general wasn't as uh, advanced as it is now. And so that's why I, I happen to agree with you on this take. Well, let's see if you agree with my number two. This one might be more problematic. If you put Kobe Bryant ahead of Shaq in your all-time player rankings, uh huh, I think you're insane. Because I watched... Interesting. Three straight NBA finals where Shaq was the best player on the court. Yeah. And I know that Kobe sort of aged past him and won his own titles and was a great player. And I'm not arguing he's not great. I just think Shaq was better. And I don't think that opinion is now greeted with any validity 
because we value wing players, Jordan-like yep. players, and also because Kobe's titles came later. But Shaq won four. Kobe won five. But Shaq won four, and Shaq was not pipping on three of his. Like, right. I, I, like I know that's again. This is about irrational. Irrational. Yep. Arguments like Kobe's great, but if you were like, yeah, Kobe's way better than Shaq, it'd be like, nope. Yes, irrational Kobe takes. Do you have any more? Do you have any other irrational takes, Adam? Um, I think that Bruce Lee is the greatest athlete of all time. Probably not the first time <laughs> I've expressed that on here. Behind nope. Chuck Norris, he's number two. No. Nobody has met as much to a sport. MMA, I would argue, would not exist without Bruce Lee's success. All the dojos that you see on the corner, all the strip mall karate places, no athlete has had more of an impact on the game. Now, I realize this is irrational when you talk about Jordan and what he did for sports marketing um, and branding in general, but there's just no no one comes close to Bruce Lee for me. Yeah, but if we're gonna judge athletes by number of karate places on the corner, then Ralph Macchio is number one, right? I mean, like, yeah, but he's not a true practitioner. He's an actor playing a role. <laughs> Bruce Lee's an actor too, buddy. Yeah, but he's first and foremost, Brad, <laughs> a skilled street fighter and competitor, even though he competed twice. Again, this is irrational. Well, but Adam, I just Adam, believe by, it. by that turn, if you're talking about uh, uh, <laughs> mainstream appeal, acting prowess, and street fighting, then it's got to be Van Damme since he was in Street Fighter, right? <laughs> Amen. Amen. <laughs> All right, here, here's two last ones for you. I'm a I'm a diehard Cincinnati Bengals fan, and I'm totally fine with Marvin Lewis being my coach till we die <laughs> together. Are are you? Ooh. Yep, I'm in. I'd rather <laughs> win with Marvin than 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 like just have like three other bad assistants until we win again. Like, and I really don't believe NFL coaches mean that much. I mean, I really don't. Huh. Like, I don't know. In this year's Super Bowl. The Eagles coach is on the sideline, and, and the backup quarterback runs up and says, let's run the trick play at, on fourth down. And he's like, sure. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I could do that, too. I could be like, yep, do it, bro. Yeah. Um, but the clock management, Brad, the clock and then management. I guess, I guess you would say, here's my hottest of hot sports takes. Uh, I think OJ didn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll find That's, the real killer at some point. Didn't do, didn't do what? Didn't do which of it? I'm not going to say yeah, which, which of it. it. Adam, okay. uh, uh-huh. that's an answer that, as a private company, we don't disclose that information publicly. <laughs> uh, but I will say that uh, there's a lot to be uh, still investigated in this particular situation. Thanks. Okay. All right. <laughs> no, I do believe I do believe OJ did it, and I think that uh, I think maybe he had help. That's what I'm going to say. <laughs> do you really? No, I think it's pretty cut and dry that he murdered his ex-wife yeah. and another person. Yeah. In designer shoes. Yeah, I think I think we yep. can all agree on that. Yeah. Okay. That's wide open for the week. Now we're going to go to an interview I got to do with Chris Berman. Chris Berman of ESPN. Chris Berman, pioneer of sports broadcasting, master of the nicknames, master of the musical references in sports highlights. You know Chris Berman is a fan of Huey Lewis. You've seen the videos floating around the internet of him and Huey on stage. 
Chris is a lifelong fan of Huey Lewis, and we break down his fandom, but then we go deeper and talk about their friendship. We talk about everything from uh, how they met, how many times they've played together on stage, the relationship they've had as, as, as friends, and, and whether when they're together, do they, do they talk sports or do they talk music? And, uh, and like I mentioned off the top, Huey's recently came out and did an interview about the fact that a, a rare condition has affected his hearing, uh, prevented him from hearing music or finding pitch. And he said pretty candidly, you know, I, I, I worry I may not sing again. Uh, and it's, it's really interesting to see Chris talk about uh, you know, his positive outlook on the situation, how much he feels for his, uh, his friend Huey not being able to perform. But hopefully uh, just, you know, wishing him well and talking about how he still thinks the future is bright. So it's a great interview. It's a lot of fun, a blast from the past with a lot of these Huey, Huey cuts. But uh, definitely stick around. And after that, we will be back to distract you. I want to have a lot of fun with this. Um, I, I got a lot of questions about the the band's musical legacy, deep cuts, and some other uh, uh, nuances. I, I do want to start with just to off the top to, to kind of you know address the news. He's come forward now. He was talked about the rare condition that's affected his hearing. They've canceled their tour. I, I I'm just curious, like when did you? I mean, you clearly have a personal connection to him and the band. Did you did you talk to him about what was going on prior to the announcement, or have you had contact with him? Um, a little bit, yeah. I mean, we go back and forth, and um, I saw that uh, all of a sudden he pulled out of Pebble Beach, which he plays every year, and that was February, which could have been for any reason or whatever. And and we spoke in February or or, or March, and and they hadn't quite pinned it down yet. But he he said that he, I mean, he's now come forward, and he said, Brad, that he. You know, he can't hear tone or pitch, mm-hmm. and and he can hear a conversation. Yeah, um, but I, I didn't know exactly. But there was something hearing wise, and then you know it's now been explained, which is my goodness. I mean, it's 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 almost like losing a voice if you can't hear and you're a musician. And and you know these guys, like everyone else who's been out there for a long time, Huey Lewis and the News, they don't just like show up. Okay, let's wing it. No, no, they're. I've been to countless sound checks. I mean, they're no different than any other band that takes pride or in mm-hmm. what they do. And if he can't do it right, they're not going to do it. So right. who knows how long? Hopefully, um, I don't know a lot about the disease, and obviously neither did he. He knows a ton about it now, and, and um, maybe that's something that can clear up in the span of four to six to eight months or whatever time it takes. I mean, they're still vital, They, all of them. I mean, they're, they're, they're raring to go. I mean, they... Mm-hmm. They 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 plan on going for a while longer and and they should because the I, I you know I go every year every other year sometimes a couple times a year wherever I am and the audience seems to appreciate it as much if not more than ever so mm-hmm. this is let's just hope that um, that he and the band can do what they really want to do and what countless of people across America and and other countries want to hear them do and that's sing. in his interview he was very understated but you could tell you know that it kills him to not be out there on stage they have been uh, uh, consistent performers for decades I mean it wasn't like they they disappeared and stopped uh, working together for a huge long stretch and reunited I mean they've been on the road for for years do, do, do you just at all feel for someone who loves something 
so much and, and, and wants to do it, yearns to do it, but is unable to at the current moment. And have you given him any words of inspiration to stay positive? Well, he's a positive guy. The band are positive guys. Um, Billy Gibson, his friend from grade school, the drummer, and, and, and others, the originals, Lowell Halsey manager. I mean, they're all upbeat. I mean, I, I'm not behind. I don't claim to be behind any curtains uh, and, and hearing some of the conversation. But sure, if we're prevented by something strange, and there's no other word to put it, from what whatever it is that we want to do, like let's say you couldn't do this, do the interviews because what? Because you lost your hearing, but if we wrote out the answers, we could do an interview, you see what I mean? Right. Like if you can't do it the right way, they love performing. I mean, he, he uh, you know, was on Broadway. I mean, he... Um, Performing is is in their blood, the DNA, and and music is in their DNA, you know. And if you can't do either, that's all of a sudden, you know. No, now you can't wear shoes. You can walk around, but you can't wear shoes. I, I don't know what how else to put it. I I feel for them. They're not down, uh, from what I can tell. They're 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 hoping that you know this is a. I don't want to use the word temporary, but but this too shall pass, and let's just hope so. Let's yeah. look. They have countless fans. I mean, that 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 go countless of times, and they make new ones all the time. And it's upbeat music. It's not ooh, that's kind of you had to live then to like it. Now, no, my kids love it. You know, and they're right. thirty two and thirty one. You know, they of course they've known them a long time, and and and. Uh, affectionately call him Uncle Huey, but that's beside the point. <laughs> yeah, I'm someone who, I'm in my uh, mid to late 30s. I grew up on, on Huey Lewis in, in my house, uh, right at the, at the apex of their uh, sort of celebrity. I, I, you know, you mentioned their countless fans. You are clearly one of them. So when did you first sort of run into the band um, as a fan? And then I guess I wonder, like, when did you transition into knowing them personally? Well, I mean, the album Sports, which wasn't their first one, right. had about five or six hits with it. I mean, if you were listening to music in the early 80s, I mean, you knew all the songs. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's no way you didn't know Heart of Rock and Roll or I Want a New Drug or Heart and Soul or If This Is It or the ones that I, well, that's a whole other story, like Walking on a Thin Line, I always loved that one, or Finally Found a Home. I mean, I'm not reciting the album cover. It's not in front of me. <laughs> um, but it's, it's all, I mean, that was, the whole thing was that plus he's Bay area and I'm a giants and 49er, uh, guy, a fan, uh, friend. And the tie in was natural. Um, love the music, etc. And then in 89, so that would have been, so it's 89 ESPN has 10 year anniversary. And somehow we had an outdoor, uh, concert at the at the Lake Compounds, uh, which is an amusement park about a mile down the street from where ESPN is in Bristol, Connecticut, old time place, and they had some concerts. And they were to perform, and 10-year anniversary, and we were introduced then, although we all we both were fans of each other, and so was the band, etc. And my late wife, Kathy, and I actually went backstage beforehand, and we talked to this and that, and and I said, you're going to sing uh, Walking on a Thin Line. And he goes, well, I don't, you know, maybe. I mean, I, you know, if we sing it, will you come up and sing it with us? <laughs> and it went kind of like that. And I went, well, I don't, I don't know about that. And my wife, 
Kathy chimed in and said, well, he knows all the words, Huey, so don't worry about it, you know. And, and I can sing okay, I mean, for a song or two. And it was like the fourth or fifth song, and I got up there, and it was okay. And we met that night, and inadvertently, if it wasn't the ESPN thing, it wouldn't happen, but sang that night, and we became really very close friends after that, and, and, and many in the band. But, but Huey and I stay in touch all the time, and we... Many of the same friends, uh, at least in the Bay Area sports world, and and um, it's been um, you know one of the real perks of my job doing what I do, having you know um, being a rock and roll fan, uh, and having a rock and roll guy be a sports fan, let alone an album entitled mm-hmm. it, and to meet and become lifelong friends. It's really, I can't tell you how rewarding it is. So there are multiple videos of you on the internet singing "Walking on a Thin Line." Um, you sound great, by the way, and you, you you do. It's it's clear you're having fun, and you've done it a number of times. So I guess I would ask, how many times do you think you've been on stage with Huey? And and beyond just knowing the words, like what is it about that song that's always made it the one that you that you, you wanted to hear? At, you know, at his shows. Well, first of all, thanks. I sing okay. I mean, as Huey says, and he's a good golfer, says, Boomer, as an amateur golfer, you're a 14 or a 15. As an amateur singer, you're a 6, you know, which is, <laughs> that's a good compliment. Because um, those are high you know, notes, I, man. I, you, I, Huey, Huey's got a, 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 he's got a soulful voice, but he can get up high. So, And you've got a very, you've got a low broadcaster's voice, but I, 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 you, you're remarkably nimble you know, at, get, at getting up there and, and matching his tone. Well, there's, there's one or two notes in that song that I, I don't always get, and but that, but other than you know, it's it's like it, it's a, it, there's only a couple of notes that has a big range. I'm 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 an okay singer. I like it. I, I sang in the you know high school and college band a little bit, but I mean that's you know that's like saying you know you played high school baseball, therefore you're good. <laughs> right. But that means I did sing and I was the lead singer. And how many times have I been on stage with him? Between fifteen and twenty. Wow. Um, mostly that song, uh, almost all the time that song, a couple other instances where we, um, and I'll tell you in a minute, but um, it's not so much about me. The fact that he lets me get up there because it's, you know, you could have a, someone come up and it sounds so bad. It's like, why did you ruin the show? But here's the thing about that song. It's a rocker, all right? Mm-hmm. Um I didn't really pick out that it was um, uh, Vietnam uh, until later on, um, and, and and after nine eleven, they said they they played it more. But they, it was a song that, for whatever reason, they didn't play a lot once they had more albums. They liked it, and so for the audience, this was adding a song. You know, I'm not up there taking "Power of Love" out of their mouth. You know, nobody wants <laughs> right. to hear Chris Berman right. sing "Power of Love." But if you weren't going to get "Walking on a Thin Line," otherwise, they don't know that it was an add-on. <laughs> wasn't in the way you know what i mean and that's yeah. that's nice i mean that's both it's starting with them and also i don't want to get in the way of what people come to see but so 
so there's that, and we've had fun with it, and there's the leap in the end, which I, once upon a time got up a little higher, and Billy ends with the drums, and, <laughs> and you know, Johnny Cola. I mean, we pretend like we're playing the good. We've done it enough. That song in particular, I think once we did um, finally found a home, um, uh, that's a long time ago after it, but that was more of a benefit for the golf tournament, which was then the Greater Hartford Open, now the Travelers. One of the more poignant ones, two years ago, Glenn Fry is both of, was both of our friends, mm -hmm. and I talked him into, um, uh, you know, when you come through here in Connecticut, we should sing just this time, but you'll have to learn it. Take it easy. Right. And we did. They called me on stage. We said a little thing. You'll find that on the internet. It went over great. It's almost always walking on a thin line. It's a rocker. It gets people up and jumping. It's usually, if it's an encore song, it's what you, the type of song you want in an encore. And again, they wouldn't have been singing it if I didn't show up. So I feel like, <laughs> you know, Huey rewarded me and he rewarded the audience, if you want to call it that, hearing me sing, with seven more minutes of another song. I, you know, they, they, people will call in after they hear this, like, oh, my God, he ruined the whole thing. But I don't, you know, it, it, we have a good time. It's all, hey, Look, when you go to a concert, right, you're just trying to have a good time, right? Yeah, I, I, absolutely. So let me ask you this, because Huey is a, a pretty dynamic performer. He likes to move around on stage, likes to whip around that mic stand. Yep. When, you're the, when you're the backup uh, singer to him, and he's moving around like he is, do you ever just get self-conscious about what you're supposed to do on stage? No, this is his show. I'm just, you know, I'm just a part-time. But we do the old, what I call the the George, and excuse me, the uh, the the John and Paul Beatles. We'll, we'll combine on one mic for some of it. That's the extent of the choreography yeah. that I do. But it's kind of like the Beatles used to do every now and then, you know, um, dating myself. Um, but no, I look his, his show. If, if we we'll you don't want me moving around on stage. I'm a big guy. <laughs> so clearly, you know, sports for the, the 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 big albums of the '80s and the mid '80s, especially, were you know th those hits. People still hear them on the radio and that kind of stuff. But I'm wondering, like, what what deeper cuts you might be drawn to, perhaps from those albums, perhaps from later. Like, if, if you were telling someone who 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 is familiar with Huey and the news, but 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 maybe wants to go listen to something else. I'm thinking of songs like Bad is Bad that 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 was, you know, you might remember, but you you might not when you compare it to all their other mega hits, stuff like that. 
Well, he's there are and B guys, uh, and so they have several that are, um, you know, a couple that are remakes from the '60s. Uh, you know, Baddest Baddest is pure R and B. Right. I'm more of a rock guy. Uh, one of my favorites when you see them live. And Steph Burns is the lead guitarist. It was Chris Hayes, but Steph's been with them forever now. Uh, they all have nicknames from me, by the way, which we, a couple of times we gave on stage to the audience. But that would be Huey was King Lewis. Uh, Billy was with an olive. It's a Gibson, the drummer. Steph, third degree Burns. Uh, <laughs> Sean at the Hopper is the piano player, and Johnny Diacola is the, you know, both the second guitar and and uh, and and uh, and sax, and then Johnny Pierce, Pierce Earring um, is, is um, you know, he's the bass. So at any rate, so um, they they got the root, they got the real Chris Berman highlight treatment. That's uh, that you well, know, that's great. The least I can do for them. I mean, they, they've they've allowed me to be somebody on occasion, you know, to be somebody else for for seven minutes. You know what I mean? And 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 it, it's really I, I can't thank him enough. I mean, he's come. They've come into my broadcast booth for baseball games, so they've had a chance to get on the air for an inning or two here and there. So it was to return the favor. But back to the deep cuts. If you see them, and I don't know if you have lately, um, but one of the ones that they do the best is the song Hornsby wrote, Jacob's Ladder. And mm-hmm. the, the guitar by Steph is just awesome. And it always it catches the crowd a little bit by surprise. And, um, um, and... That's awesome. I mean, there's there's a couple of songs off four. Um, one of them is now I'm, I'm drawing a blank for a minute, but it, it, it I, I can it'll it'll you know what's kind of an, an odd one. It, it it may not be they may not regard it as one of their best ones. They're happy to be stuck with you. I, I kind of oh yeah. I don't know. I kind of I kind of like that one. Um, but that was, a, this one. that was a number uh, one hit. That was a number one hit, though. So I, I <laughs> that's the thing is you they had so many much, right, they had so many hits in the eighties. You forget that you're like, oh yeah, that one was like a chart topper. Well, and they also should be. Um, I don't know why they're not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I mean, I really don't. Um, the two songs off four. These are deeper tracks. It's, it's kind of like in the middle. It's almost where a thin line is on sports. I know what I like which is kind of like Thin Line, and mm-hmm. I Never Walk Alone is a really good yep. song off four. And so there's some deeper cuts for you. You're someone that's that's drawn so much inspiration from music and uh, and sort of uh, you know rock and roll culture all through your career. I mean, that was uh, you, you really were a pioneer in, in, in bringing that into sports. Did they did they inform? I mean, were you listening to them in the in the time, and were they sort of something that informed uh, any of your your famous calls or the highlights that you would write on a nightly basis back then? Uh, I, that's a good question. Um, Certainly, their spirit was right in what I was doing. I mean, uh, we we kind of I mean, they were the eighties. That's when I was starting, so it was a perfect marriage. I think. I think. I, did I call anything with lyrics from their songs? I don't know. I may have. Um, uh, it 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 just seemed that we were both. Well, they had become a big deal, obviously, in nineteen eighty three. But I mean, we were all. Kind of the same age. They're just a few years older than me. I'm 63. They're a few years 
up in the 60s, but not that much farther. Um, I, you know, harder rock and roll. I, I'm, I'm, st- I'm stammering because stammering because I'm, I'm, I'm really rolodexing my mind here. I'm sure <laughs> there was something in there for a while. I mean, it. I can't imagine that. Uh, a guy that had a lot of long home runs in one game or a lot of long balls. I couldn't say maybe it was even the power of love. I can't imagine <laughs> that I never said that. You know, I was on for almost 40 years. So. <laughs> right, right. What about, um, do you have a favorite go-to, like, I mean, you mentioned Walking on a Thin Line, but uh, is there a, like a song or a couple songs that you'd consider to be like your 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 personal favorites? Well, that would be it. I mean, you get on stage 17 times or whatever the number is and <laughs> sing it, that would be it. And I also like Power of Love, even though yeah. that was not, you know, it's from a movie. I mean, I just, uh, the whole audience just jumps up on it. It's fun watching the audience react and maybe there for the first or second time, you know, and it, it, wherever that's placed in the show, it's always a huge reaction and it would be impossible not to love that one. And and you mentioned Huey being a good golfer. I I, I watched uh you know I remember the in the behind the music episode on on them they talked about how he was a baseball player growing up. Uh, just how good an athlete is, is he, and how much does he want to talk sports with you? And is that something that you that you like to do, or when you get next to a musician, do you just want to talk music because sports is your you know that's your day job? I want to break free and talk about your world. Yeah, but music is their world, so we I would say it's 50-50. <laughs> right. Right. I would say it's 50-50, and probably because, you know, sports is a, is such a huge, wide range, and we're, we don't see each other personally that much. Um, so Bay Area teams, anything football, baseball, anything, golf. We always saw you see each other at Pebble Beach uh, at, the, at the AT&T. Um, you know, we he plays played forever, and they were kind enough to have me about ten or eleven years. So we'd always hook up there and have you know brunch uh, or, or you know in the evening get together, have dinner. Um, uh, but you know, so we're always talking. We're always talking sports, but we're also talking life. I mean, we we now you know we're both. <laughs> I remember. <laughs> I remember a text that Huey sent me when I turned 60, and again, he's a few years older than me, but on May 10th uh, of um, a few years ago, three years ago, when I turned 60, I just got, happy birthday, my friend, welcome to the dark side, Huey, you know? (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, we talk life, I mean, because it's, we've, we've seen, I'm so proud of them because they're the same guys that I met in the 80s as they are now. I mean, as far as spirit, as far as the way they deal with people, as far as being genuine, uh, as far as loving what they do still, nothing's changed in the 30, almost 30 years I've known him and the band. And I, I'm proud to call them my friends because they're, they're exactly who they are. I mean, we, who, who they seem to be. Um, and, and they still crank it out. And I, I just hope that we have all, as fans, have that opportunity to to hear from them again professionally. I, I really hope so, and I'm 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 counting on it. I, I know they are too. Yeah, no, I us too. And you've been so generous with your time. I'll, I'll let you go, but I, I really appreciate you, you talking about your you know your history with the band and and opening up. And and we're wishing Huey you know well, and and hopefully they'll be back soon. 
Yeah, we certainly hope so, Brad. Thanks for being a fan of them. I mean, you're yeah. young. You were, God, you were just a baby when they started cranking <laughs> it out. But I, um, I remember "Hip to Be Square," man. Like that. That's and and of course, like. Uh, Power of Love, Back in Time, from Back to the Future. I mean, that was a movie I had on VHS and probably watched a hundred times. And Huey's in that, which is even better. Um, yeah, I mean, but but really, the more we worked, all we want is a couple of days off, right? Now, there's one that's <laughs> from later on. But yep. but he, at any rate, it, it, look, it's not about me getting up there with him. It's about them entertaining for almost 40 years, Um Fans of all ages and of all colors and of all, you know, stereotypes, whatever you want, they, they, they cross they cross it all because it's just upbeat, good music. Um, you, you, they're not trying, there's not some intrinsic message other than let's just have a good time. The music still sounds fresh. They still sound fresh when they're out there. Uh, the songs that you put on from, let's say, sports still sound good. They would still sound good today. And these, they become timeless. And, and, and not many people can say that professionally. And they have. And, and hopefully that timeless uh, goes on for a lot longer, to your point. In the sports world, athletes, coaches, media, they all do things that are interesting, that they love. And then we tell them, don't do that. Go back to watching game film. You are being a distraction. Well, not on this show. Life is just work and the things that distract us from work. So on this show, we celebrate distractions. Adam, what is distracting you this week? Uh, I had a chance over the weekend to go. I've been to a couple of UFC fight nights. And for those of you who aren't MMA fans, which is most of you, um, the fight nights are the smaller events that are on network TV. I went to UFC 225, which is a pay-per-view event, and the first one in Chicago. Um, shout out to Dave Lockett with the UFC for um, helping to make that ticket connection. So my girlfriend who grew up doing martial arts and I went, and we were there. We got there for the very first fights at 5.15 and left at 12.30. So it was a full night of fights and it was pretty awesome um i think the most striking thing about it most interesting part of the night was um there was a fighter uh there's a fight legendary fighter fights out of chicago his name is rashad evans um he's kind of past his prime but he continues to fight he was one of the earlier fights he took a knee to his face and was knocked out instantly um, they, they ended the fight, uh, and his family was sitting in front of us, probably, uh, kids all under the age of 10. 
Um, and watching the sport, uh, uh, there is a certain brutality, also a beauty to it. But to see the family react uh, when he took that knee to the face uh, and they had to help him out of the ring just was a different side of it. I, I wouldn't, I don't mean necessarily that it would dissuade me from watching future fights, um, but it was really interesting to think about the families and what they think as they watch their father or spouse go into the ring um, and what is an extremely violent and dangerous activity. Uh, and a couple hours later, uh, after he was treated, they left and, and went to see their dad. But it, I think it's a, an experience that I'll never forget. That's awesome, dude. Uh, and my distraction is completely different. It's a podcast about the World Cup. And more specifically, the World Cup that we failed in miserably, 1998. <laughs> so, World Cup coming up, and Roger Bennett, a.k.a. Raj, a.k.a. a person who I have... one. I have, uh, I'm sitting in an office at my house, Adam, and I uh-huh. have... I'm not, I'm not an autograph guy. I, I don't really give a shit. Uh, but yep. I have a couple things framed in my office that are autographs. One is Icky Woods. Uh, I made the sign of the cross when I said Icky. <laughs> uh, autographed uh, number 30 jersey, not to be confused with Icky Woods wearing number 31. Uh-huh. I've got Alex Morgan's jersey autographed on my wall. I've got uh-huh. Boomer Esiason's jersey. Uh, I've got Scotty Pippen's jersey autographed on my wall. I've got Ryan Sandberg's autograph on my wall. And then I have two Manchester United jerseys with the names Raj and Davo on them. And we all know Raj and Davo are Roger Bennett and Michael Davies, the hosts of the Men and Blazers podcast. Really two of the guys that convinced us to go into podcasting. Amazing guys. They run an amazing show. Really innovative creators. And my friend Louis DeCosmo, our second ever Twitter follower behind Stefan Marbury. <laughs> or no, he was number one. Lewis was number one. Stefan was number two. Starbury number two. Lewis uh, was doing a program with uh, uh, either with um, either with uh, Manchester United directly or one of their sponsors where they needed to send Rajan Devo Man United gear. And I was like, those guys do not root for that team. Do not send them that gear. And uh, they sent it anyway, and it was returned to sender. And I took them, and when I met, I met them, I worked with them later, and I, I, I met with them, and I, I, I put the jersey down in front of Raj, and I said, Raj, uh, please, please autograph this with a message that says this was not the thing to send to me. And, uh, and, he, and he did. He wrote, he wrote, I do not approve this message on huh. the jersey. It's framed in my office. Lewis and I had a long laugh about it. Love, Lewis. And... Raj has always been an inspiration for me, uh, not just as a podcaster and a, and a documentary filmmaker, but as someone who has talked a lot about his passions away from sports on his own shows, uh, poetry, reading, his history, literature, really interesting guy. He's got a new podcast out that he did with uh, WNYC about the 1998 American soccer team that went to the World Cup and just totally flamed out in France. And I and I started listening to it, not quite sure what it was or why it was existing. And it's called American Fiasco. And it's just one of the most interesting explorations of a forgettable team that I've ever heard in sports media. We always celebrate like the 85 Bears or this or this, 
But very rarely do we ever look at a team that would be otherwise like kind of lost in the shuffle and say, why was this so bad? The other example that comes to mind, Adam, you might know, was when NFL Network did their um, A Football Life about the 93 Oilers. You remember that? Sure. Oh, and it was so good, and it talked about yeah. just the chaos of that whole season. And this is a, a podcast series just about the chaos of a World Cup. And it, it's so fascinating to hear these guys talk about, this was four years of my life, uh, and really my whole life, dedicated to this moment. And it all went wrong in about two weeks. Because that's what happens mm-hmm. in the World Cup. You get three right. chances to move forward. And I know three chances is more than most Olympic athletes get. But, you you know, you're a whole team going right into this maelstrom of craziness. And if you make the wrong decisions, and everything from where they stayed to uh, the formations they played to how they interacted to the roles that veterans played versus younger players... To even, and Adam, this is crazy, the captain of the team getting kicked off the team because he slept with the another guy's wife on the team. Oh, wow. Like, it's these are stories that I had no idea existed, and it's yeah. crazy. And you get to hear a friend of Pod, uh, Alexi Lalas, who we talked about, about his music, talk about uh, how crazy this was and, and his role in being an antagonist in it. It's just really honest and interesting. And, and Roger Bennett is a great storyteller, so I advise everyone to download American Fiasco. My my last take is I don't believe that Americans are really soccer fans. I think they're just doing it to be trendy. I just don't believe it. Okay, can I, can I counter that real quick? Sure. When my daughter was born, it was an incredibly difficult and emotional time. I first started with Charlie. Uh, her name is Charlotte. And uh, call her, I'm the last person who calls her Charlie along, along with my mother. And it was really hard for my wife. She had an emergency C-section. And you know Kelly. She's like a runner, a go-getter, a uh, type A. And she's to insane. Be like, yeah, she's an insane to, person. But she was very much struggling. And so on Saturday and Sunday mornings, I would take the baby and I would go into the uh into the living room and i would sit with her on my chest and she would sleep for about four straight hours if i didn't move she liked being on top of someone which you can't do overnight for whatever reasons Mm -hmm. and there was nothing on tv at this time like there was nothing so i did for that entire summer i did two things i watched or that entire fall i did two things i watched english premier league soccer Uh and i watched the wire on hbo yeah hbo on demand Yep. I'm rewatching that right now. And like I I grew it was the first time I ever watched soccer on a screen that wasn't like a box TV. Um where you could see that someone 30 yards down was passing the ball to somebody else who's making a break. And it reminded me of if you didn't know what a quarterback was doing and he just dropped back and threw the ball, you wouldn't be excited until the camera panned. But if you know what's going on, you're excited because you know a long bomb is coming. Mm-hmm. And like once you could see the field in soccer, you could gain an appreciation 
for yeah. all the movement and the organization and the strategy behind the plays. Sure. So that it wasn't just the Simpsons being like, halfback to the fullback, to the fullback, to the halfback. It was like, okay, they're trying to organize something on the right side. It didn't sure. pan out. Other teams making a counter. They're trying a long counter. Oh, it's a short counter or whatever. And I really started to like the sport as a sport. And I stopped being that American fan who's like, it's not as exciting as hmm. basketball or whatever. Also, yeah. basketball, modern basketball, lots of like nobody's moving, shoot a three, two. So yeah, like true. everyone can just ease up on the condescension. Every sport sucks to a, to a fan that doesn't really get it. Right. So Adam, to close that, I will give a shout out to two quick books. One is Brilliant Orange. Hey, Lewis, send it back. Two is... Uh, those feet by the same author. It's about the history of the English uh, uh, national soccer team versus the history of Dutch uh, soccer. Both great books. And that is our show. Adam, let's end us with some shout outs. I'd like to shout out, as usual, my boy Uzi, Def Jeff, Lil Swanee, Meech, Ramak, and not to be confused with. My other cousin, Ron. And booty rappers, in the immortal words of Shaquille O'Neal. Booty rappers, stay booty. <laughs>